0: Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. Well, we're looking at a few things this morning that are pretty tough. These bowls of wrath, (laughs) they're they're bowls of wrath. (laughs) And I, I think when I look through this and I read through this and I pray through this and I think about what God is going to do, there's some things in this that I think it's important to understand. God's glory, His identity, the truth of who He really is. You know, God is a loving God. God is a merciful God. But God is also a just God. God has truth. He is truth. And so when we talk about love, we talk about grace, we talk about Mercy; Those things always go together. And so even in the midst of wrath, we can see God's mercy. We can see the opportunity afforded for people to repent, meaning to change their mind. We can see the opportunity for people to acknowledge something that perhaps they were wrong in, in order to be right in, and then to ultimately believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. And I think in the midst of it, it's, it's incredible because we look at these things, and sometimes they're a little bit surreal. Does it ever catch you that way? Sometimes it's a little surreal to me. And I, and I begin to think about it, and I begin to pray about it. And I think, wow, Lord, I, I don't know when this is going to happen, uh, but I know why, and I know that God's sovereign over it, and I know that it will happen. And so part of it is when you read through these and you begin to study through this and you begin to reflect and meditate, I, my, my heart in this, and I hope for you that this has just been a revitalization, a restirring, if you will, of the need for people to hear about how good God is. Because God will not continue to put up with sin forever. There will come a point where he will deal with sin. There will come a point where he will deal with unbelief. There will come a point where his desire is to bring Israel back to himself. And the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year tribulation time, is a time specifically for that. So in the midst of it, as we look through this, my prayer is that our hearts aren't just stirred in the sense that somehow we, boy, that's a great thought, or yeah, we got to know that we, we really come before the Lord and we say, Lord, here we are. Here am I. Use me in whatever you choose to glorify your name, to present who you are, the true identity of your love and your graciousness and your goodness to all of those around. Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 and following, we're going to take the first five bowls of wrath and... uh, the sixth bowl, the seventh bowl, really are uh, about Armageddon. And that's a whole thing in and of itself. The Valley of Jezreel. I um, remember being there with Gail Silvik and the, the team from Hoffmantown. It's amazing. But Revelation 16.1 says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Now, that right there ought to give us pause. See, God the Almighty will judge all that is false as he is true. He's going to judge what's false because he's true. He has to judge what's false because he's true. And in the midst of this, when he says, I heard a loud voice from the temple, understand that that idea of from the temple means out of the temple proceeding from the temple. And this voice is saying to these seven angels who have these bowls of wrath, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. The word go and the word pour out are imperatives. They are commands from God to these angels to go and accomplish this. God is almighty and he will judge all that is false. Why? Because he is true. If you flick back in your Bibles to chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, we've kind of had a parenthetical pause where we've gotten certain pictures presented to us in chapters 12 through 15. But in chapter 11, verses 15 and following. Uh, We've got this picture of these seven bowls about to be poured out. It says this, the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks O Lord God the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And that's a fascinating statement because the bowls haven't been poured out yet, but because of the fact that God is going to accomplish this and bring it to its fruition and conclusion, there's already in effect a celebration, certainly a recognition that God will reign and that this has already begun. In verse 18, the nations were enraged. Your wrath came. The time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God which is in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. And that really is, in a chronological sense, what is about to immediately usher us into chapter 16. In chapter 12, we saw the dragon and the woman and the child, meaning Satan, Israel, and Christ. Or in chapter 13, we looked at the beasts, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. In chapter 14, we looked at the 144,000 on Mount Zion in Jerusalem and the victory of the Lamb. Chapter 15 began to look at some of the heavenly scenes that were taking place. But here in chapter 16, this is the beginning of this final event on earth where God's wrath is going to be poured out. And it's from him. It's directed by him because he's going to put an end to sin and he's going to bring Israel back to himself. In verse 2, we have the first bowl poured out. It says, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Understand something in the midst of this. When, when we say God is true and that God is just, and because of his truth and because of his justice, because of his righteousness, that he will judge and he will put an end to sin, understand that what God desires is true worship. When there's false worship, it's not right. It's not good. It's not in our best interest. It's not in humanity's best interest. We've been created to worship the Lord. We've been created to give him glory because he alone is deserving of it. And so anything that's false, God is ultimately going to judge. Why? Because he is true. And if there's false worship, he will judge it because it's not true. It's not from him. And he's the creator. He's over all. And he is the one alone worthy of worship. What are the people worshiping? What does it say? Why is this bowl poured out? It's because they had the mark of the beast and they were worshiping his image. It was false worship. If you look at Revelation chapter 14, we're given a glimpse of this in verses 9 and 10. They had received the mark of the beast And in Revelation 14, 9 through 10, we're given this picture. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Why? Because God is true. And because God will judge all that is false. When we think about the beast and we think about this mark and we think about this false worship, this is satanically organized and orchestrated. Satan has created his false trinity and is deceiving many. And So in the midst of this bowl being poured out, there's judgment on people who have Decided to worship the beast, to worship in effect Satan rather than God, the Lord God Almighty. False worship in effect is to place the created things above the Creator. We can see that all through our uh, world today. <laughs> Listening to David Platt and how the IMB is being used of the Lord in order to go into nations that have never heard the gospel. Praise God for that. Folks, we're a part of that, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for those that go on mission trips, whether it's to Myanmar or whether it's to Uganda or wherever it may be, in order to share the gospel. And the truth of the matter is, as I've shared with you, we've got people right here in our own backyard who've never heard the gospel. So it's a balance, right? Acts 1.8, Jerusalem through uttermost, it's a balance. It's as the Lord leads. Where is he guiding? How is he using and calling each and every one of us as the people of God to testify about the greatness of God so that true worship, the nations will praise the Lamb. That's what this is in so many ways all about. A false worship in Romans 1 even though they knew God, and even though God had placed a recognition that he's all-powerful and that he's the creator of all things, that there is a God, they refused to acknowledge God. They refused to worship him, and they began to worship the created things instead of the creator who alone is worthy of worship. Well, the second thing and the second bowl and really the second and third Bowls go together because it deals with the waters of the earth. It deals with the sea and it deals with the fresh waters. And there's true judgment that's now brought. And, and the Lord, it makes it very clear here in what is written that the Lord has the right to do this because He is true, because He is ultimately the judge. And verse 3 it says, The second angel poured out His bowl into the sea. It became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. This is echoes back to the the plagues in the time of Moses when the Nile was turned to blood or we certainly saw this earlier in Revelation chapter eight verses eight through eleven where The trumpets are sounded, and it says it specifically, the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed, and the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from the heaven burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of those stars called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter we saw this picture in the trumpets and a third of things were turned to blood and a third of things died but now we're seeing in the bowls where it's completed and everything is turned to blood and in this particular wrath this bowl that is poured out the second one it says the sea became blood and every living thing in the sea Died. Or verse 4: the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. Think about that. Why? Well, God is good, and He's good all the time. But God is just, and He's filled with truth and righteousness and holiness, and He cannot allow sin to go unjudged. And so because God is true, he will judge what is false. In verse 5, he says, I heard the angel of the water saying, righteous are you. See, there's, there's a declaration because our flesh immediately wants to blame God for this. But there's an immediate declaration from heaven itself itself. That basically states that God is righteous who are and who were a holy one because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. Verse 7, I heard the altar saying, yes, O Lord God the Almighty. True and righteous are your judgments. Righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness simply means that which conforms to God's standards. That which is right according to God's view. In fact, Spiros Zoriades he defines it this way, righteousness or justice means that which is right, conformable to right, pertaining to right, that which is just, that which is just. He alone, the Lord alone, is able to judge. He's able to evaluate. He's able to separate and distinguish. And he's able to judge righteously because he alone knows the accurate standard. He's the righteous one. He's the righteous judge. What did they have done? They had killed the saints for worshiping the Lord as they were worshiping the beast, the false worship. And as a result of that, God was bringing righteous judgment upon them. It's interesting because in verse six, when it says they deserve it, That word deserve literally has the picture of a scale, and it is weighed out, it is measured out as to what it is that somebody actually deserves, and the pronouncement here is that because God is holy, because he's righteous, because he's good, because he understands what the standard ought to be, and he understands how to punish those who do not walk according to his standards, he knows exactly what the punishment ought to be for them. And the pronouncement is, they shed the blood of the saints, and as a result, it it is right, it is accurate, it is a correct measure that they now ought to have in turn to drink the blood themselves. God is righteous. God is righteous. He's good, He's holy. And because He is righteous and holy, He will judge what is false. Well, in verse 8, we have the true glory of the Lord presented, and he says, The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Did you catch that last part? Hang on to that. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not do what? Repent of their deeds. The fourth and fifth seal deal directly with man's choices of how they view God. How is it that you view God? Do you see God for who he is as he's presented himself through the word of God? Or do you have your own depiction of what you think God is or you want him to be so that you can put him into the nice little box of your life and then you have your idol and then you don't have to really measure up, you don't have to worship, you don't have to succumb, you don't have to obey You can do what you think you want to do. And that's what these people are doing. They're blaspheming God. They are not repenting of their deeds because they're not giving God the true credit, the glory for who he really is. Twice, obviously emphasizing this, the word blaspheme is used. It's used in verse 9. It's used in verse And twice it's pointed out that they did not repent regarding how they view God. They did not give him the glory for who he truly is. The word blaspheme simply means to say something about God which is untrue, to disrespect, to revile, or to speak of God in a way that does not accurately describe who he really is. And the word repent simply means a change of of the mind, recognizing that you're thinking about God is wrong and you're changing your mind and you're beginning to think about him correctly. These people were worshiping the beast. They were giving false worship because they were not willing to glorify God. Their deeds exposed their heart attitude. Their mouths were exposing their heart attitude towards the Lord God. Almighty, who is the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things, who is righteous and holy and good. And as a result, they were suffering. They were going through what they deserved because of God's judgment upon them. You know, it's interesting when we think about the darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Light. Right? it's the absence of light. light comes in, light puts out darkness every time. every time. i heard somebody say the other day in one of the movies and i don't remember which one it was, it was a trailer and they said, well, darkness puts out light. that's blasphemy, folks. think think about that. that's what's being shared to our young people, that's what's being shared into our culture as if somehow that's some kind of a smart intelligent thing. that's silliness. Light puts out darkness. God is light. What had these people chosen? They had chosen darkness. They had chosen something that was wrong, that was false. And as a result, God was giving them over to exactly what it is that they had chosen to live by, to walk according to. Glory simply means to think of God accurately in in a true manner. When we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the true identity of who God really is. And he has presented himself for who he really is in the word of God. Christ coming to this earth, Christmas, is about the glory of God being made manifest on this earth. The cross is where we see the greatness of the glory of God because he's willing to go to the cross and die and shed his blood for sinful humanity that rejected him. Didn't want anything to do with them. It's amazing when we begin to walk through that. God is all-powerful. He judges righteously those who do evil, and they do not glorify him. And because he is true, he will judge that which is false. You know, in the midst of this, God's wrath, in the midst of it, Is his mercy. It's interesting to me because, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of these bowls being poured out, there's this statement they did not repent, they didn't change their minds, indicating they had the opportunity to do so. You realize that the very wrath of God, the very judgment of God being presented here in order to deal with sin because God's a holy God is actually also being used in order to give people an opportunity to recognize the reality of who he is. And the fact is they refused to be persuaded. They refused to have their minds changed. God's mercy, his rescuing ability is even in this moment still prevalent Why? Because God loves to do what? He loves to save. He loves to save. I was reading Roy Hessian at some point and I'll never forget the statement he makes that we are candidates for grace. And when we simply admit to God that we are in need of him. It doesn't matter what the circumstance may be. It doesn't matter how bad the situation is. It doesn't matter how um, badly you messed up, how deeply you have sinned. It doesn't matter what kind of chaos you have caused. When you come to God and simply agree with him and acknowledge to him that you are in need of him and that you are a candidate of grace, God can't help himself but come running to you in order to meet you at your need. Wow. God's a great God, folks. The Lord Jesus Christ is amazing. We have the privilege of walking with him every day. When we're believers, we have Christ living within us. We get to experience his power, his transforming ability, his grace. We get to recognize more and more all that God has done for us and we get to be led by the Holy Spirit as we trust him, as we walk with him in faith being persuaded that even though I can't I know that through Christ I can and even though I'm not capable because I can't produce the fruit that when I abide in that vine God through me begins to produce the fruit what an amazing God we serve I love 2 Corinthians 5:20 where he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be made right with God. How? Through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the shed blood at the cross of the Lord that was provided so that when we believe, we may be saved. And even in the midst of this wrath, there's mercy. Even in the midst of this wrath, there's this, in effect, an appeal. Be reconciled to God because God is able to save. God the Almighty, God the Almighty, think about that. He's the Almighty One. He holds all things in His hands. He judges all that is false. Why? Because He's true. Because He's true. Let me give you a couple thoughts on that in terms of as believers today how are we walking. Well James 1:17 says every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And I love that phrase because the idea is literally that there's not even a shadow within the shadow. It's not just that the shadows not there, it's that the shadow within the shadow isn't there. God is pure. He is light. He is righteous, he is holy, he's blameless. He's above reproach. And when we think about God and we think about the fact that he will judge because he is true, boy, understand that the Bible teaches us very clearly that in God there is no sin, there is no hint of sin, there is no motive other than love, other than goodness, other than righteousness, other than that which is of him. So we are to worship in truth. We're not to to worship things that are false. We are to worship. We are to ascribe worthiness to God alone. And in John chapter 4, verse 24, you know this well. God is what? Spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit. And in truth, it's not about a place. It's not about coming here on Sunday morning and suddenly thinking, well, this is all the worst. No, it's about a life. It's about moment by moment walking with the Lord and acknowledging the reality and the truth of who he really is. It's about ascribing worthiness to the Lord because he alone is worthy of worship. Worship isn't just an event. It is a lifestyle of yielding and acknowledging to God that he alone is the Lord God Almighty. So we are to worship him in truth, but secondly, we're to trust him to judge righteously in truth. We're to trust him in that. Romans 12:19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved. <laughs> but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Never take your own revenge, beloved. He's writing to believers, he calls us beloved. It says, never take your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. Why? Because vengeance is mine, I will pay. Why? Because he's righteous, because he's holy. He knows exactly what needs to be measured out. He knows what the, the offense is, and he knows exactly what the punishment ought to be. We don't. We think we do. <laughs> we think we do, don't we? Somebody does something wrong to us, and we respond tenfold because they deserve it, right? No, no, no. In the midst of it, we understand that God is the one that does this. And so not only are we to worship him in truth, but we're to trust him to judge righteously in truth. And lastly, God alone deserves glory. Why? Because he's the God of heaven, he's the creator who is above all. He is light. 1 Timothy 1:17, one of my favorite verses is, "Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God." be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. What a doxology, what a beautiful statement that ought to be reflected in our worship of the Lord and our recognition of the reality of who he is and all that he's done on our behalf. You know, we're in this season of Christmas and I gotta tell you, I love Christmas. I really do, I listen to Christmas music literally all year round, I do, I'm sorry. If you don't, I feel sorry for you because it's some of the greatest music that there is. But Christmas is about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about the one who has promised, who's coming to this earth to go to the cross to provide salvation when we believe in him and we receive him, this gift Folks, let me ask you, how are you worshiping the Lord? How are you trusting him to judge righteously in the midst of your life? Do you understand that God is going to deal with that which is false because he is true? And are we giving proper credit to him? Day by day, moment by moment, everything belongs to him. Our lives are his. We are at his beck and call, and he doesn't have to explain why. When he says for us to do something and we begin to walk with him in the midst of it, he'll empower us to do it, and through his word, he'll establish that it is of him, and in the midst of that, we have the privilege and opportunity of experiencing the mightiness of God in and through our lives to be transformed and are thinking that our minds would be renewed to walk by faith, being persuaded that God alone is God and that we know him because he's made himself known. What's your message this Christmas? What's your testimony this Christmas? What's your availability <laughs> this Christmas? Are you willing to say yes to the Lord? Are you willing to follow God? Are you looking for opportunities to say, Lord, whatever you choose to do, I want to be a part of that. And I, I know that you'll empower me by your grace, by your life, in order to do the very thing that you're asking me, inviting me, to participate with you in. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to get out of the comfort zone a little bit? Because it can be uncomfortable, but I can promise you. I talk to people like this little girl, Jacqueline. I want to tell you something, folks. There's something in you. It just cries out and like Paul said, we' are ambassadors for Christ and it's as if God through us is imploring and entreating you to be reconciled to God be reconciled how to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ are we willing to follow the Lord in presenting the reality of who he really is thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church podcast.